Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. And uh, what an honor to be with you today. And I'm really grateful for this time together. Uh, such an honor to be with Pastor Jeff and Wendy and, and the grace on their lives and the, their open hearts to allow me to have this privilege to be with all of you. And thank you. It's, um, it's extraordinary to witness what's unfolding here so rapidly and to see the, the hand of God drawing a people together at this time. Um, I, I think you sense that there has been a drawing in your life to be here. It's like you're being called of the Holy Spirit to come. And when the Holy Spirit draws you like this, there is a purpose. Um, <clears throat> in my experience over the years, there are rare times and seasons when you sense the Father calling us. Um, he when that call begins to happen, sometimes people even move from one location to another to come to a place where there is a convergence of the presence and the power of God because there is such radical life change that begins to happen. I believe that that's what's happening here. It, this is a, a, a really a family that's dedicated for revival. And that's a very, very um, precious um, heart dedication. When you, you sense the leadership and the people are coming together, longing for a reviving presence of God, longing to be transformed supernaturally, and longing to move outside of traditional boxes that oftentimes just have an appearance of, of godliness, but are, are distinctly absence of the power of God. And, and we're in a time where if we've ever needed the power of God, we need it now. And so thank God that you're called here. Thank God for the anointing upon pastors Wendy and, and Jeff. Thank God for the anointing upon all of your lives that you bring in the presence of God that you bring to this um, place. Because you are the formative DNA of something that will increase and grow. Everything that's happening in these months is now forming a DNA of, of the very nature and the culture and the heart of the Father. And I know it's being built intentionally, but it is, it's so vital. Every Sunday, every week is so important in this time because of what is being shaped and what is being defined, the people that are being called, and now what you're watching the Father do. It's really extraordinary. I have a scripture I'd like to share with you and uh, that I feel this time pertains to the church and it should be no surprise to you but but sometimes it's good to speak the obvious it's um it's found in isaiah chapter 54 verse 2 and 3 you know it all well that's why i choose something that you know well but it says to you enlarge the place of your uh let me just open up this bible here a little bit more enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch the curtains of your dwellings. I actually believe the movement to uh, Global House of Prayer was a prophetic fulfillment of what the Father is saying as he's taking you out of a place of physical limitation and now opened you to a bigger place. But you know what I believe? I believe he's saying, don't be comfortable in any place at this time with four walls because the truth is what the Father is doing is that you are actually a church without walls. And so what is going to be birthed here are going to be initiatives, strategies, 
movements of God that will take you outside of the four walls of the church. With what's happening with Dwayne and Jeanette, for instance, who we're very close to, this is another very significant expression of the revival of God that's happening. Incredible lives being changed. You're going to see more and more of this in the times ahead. As this is a church without walls. Not only physical walls, but spiritual walls. You're going to break through barriers of conventionalism. Conventional ways in which we have thought church would be because the Father's doing a new thing. Amen? And so, be open to the new. You're being called here to be unconventional. And so, don't allow yourself to, to be conformed and to be critical when you see initiatives that are atypical, that are fresh, that are innovative. Because the confirmation bias within your life says, well, I've lived in its church has been like th this way. Our attitudes become barriers for the fresh work of God, not only collectively, but in your own life. And so in this time, as new DNA is being born, let it be one in which you're saying together, the sky's the limit in God. That there is no ceiling. We're living in an open heaven, and we are living in a place where, where new innovative approaches to, to the work of Jesus are going to be birthed in this place. Pastors Jeff and Wendy, from a pastoral perspective, it's really, in a sense, strategic for you to allow them and for them to see themselves that they're not only a pastor to the people in this building. Get out of the building mindset. They're pastors to the city. When you begin to see that your city is the church, you see the city as the expression of the gathered ones, the called ones. And you see that's what's happening. There is a call in your heart to be a part of this, to be a part of this community, to be a part of something that is so significant and is a divine appointment of God in this time. And so you know what? New things are happening. You're a part of it and you bring it. Amen? Make sense? A church without walls. A few months ago, the church left the building, right? The church left the building. But you want to know something? Many people want to come back to church the way it was. You want to know something? We are never going back to church the way it was. You, you might as well get that out of your brain and out of your heart. That was, that was in the playbook of history. Something new in that transition of time has been born. And in the midst of it, something very significant is happening in the hearts of people. So the word is, enlarge the place of your tent. Take the walls out of your heart. Become a church without walls. And let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your stakes. Strengthen your stakes. Or lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left. And your descendants shall inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Amen? Amen. So, Father, in the name of Jesus today, we, we pray that this word actually becomes a reality and that in the months and, and days and weeks ahead,
that we will begin to see that this church and this people have now begun to think as a people without walls, a people without limitations, a people without restrictions, that with God, all things are possible. Father, people are being called here. They're being called from the north, south, east, and west. They're being called to be a people of extraordinary faith, of extraordinary trust, a people called to be arising in this time, in this season, saying yes to you. So, Father, cause them to be of one accord. Cause them to be of one heart. Cause them to be of one mind. Do thee what is impossible with man, but is possible with you. Father, thank you for, for the reviving presence of your Holy Spirit that is here among these people, among this family. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So with that, uh, I want to open with another thought as to the days and the times we live in. This is uh, contextual, but... Uh, which way do I go? Okay, this is a word for you. Um, in Genesis, we read an unusual thing that happened. And in Genesis chapter 26, is where I'd want to go. I'm using a different Bible today. So uh, if you see me kind of fumbling around, it's okay. But uh, it's not my rapid fire one that I normally work with. And uh, Genesis uh, um, 26, verse 15, here's where it says. It says, uh, Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which the father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And they had filled them with earth. And Abraham said to Israel, Go away from us, for you are much, oh, yeah, much mightier than I. Then Isaac departed from there, and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped up, had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he called them by their names which his father had called them. Here's, here's what I believe has happened in our lives. The Father is saying right now, it's time to redig the wells. There's a redigging that's happening in your heart. Life is uh, not always easy. Um, you know, the word trauma actually also is defined in the Greek as the word wound. And when there's a wound in a person's life, it sets the stage for strongholds to occur. When a stronghold occurs, it actually has the potential to become a pathway for demonic activity in your life. The Bible says Satan comes as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But you see, it doesn't say he devours everyone. It says he comes seeking those whom he may devour. The enemy needs access points to really have inroads of significant impact. Many times in our lives, when life is hard, um, we can end up in situations where there is trauma, where there's shock. The trauma produces a wound. 
If you're wounded, it's not uncommon that you'll feel pain. Pain is not always bad because pain indicates that there's a wound. I began to realize that in, in uh, understanding the healing power of God, that if you would allow the Father's love to begin to migrate through the pathways of pain, he will go right down to the very source of where the wound is itself, and he'll heal you. He'll heal you layer by layer by layer by layer. The word restore actually means not only to make good, but it actually means to make it better or back to its original state. I want to tell you this, and I know it's true, that the love of the Father can heal your heart back to its original place and design and function in your life. The healing of the heart in our lives in this time is essential in this season. Because if we don't allow the Father to heal us, and this is a work of the Father. It's not a work of the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a work of the Father. Because the Father, before you were ever created, had a design plan for your life. And in the design plan for your life, things happen. But the Father is so committed to the fulfillment of this design plan that he is the one also that causes healing to happen in your heart. I've cast lots of devils out of people over life. But here's what I've learned, and I respect it, and I understand its importance. But I also know this, that if the wound still exists, you can evacuate, for a lack of better words, a demonic power for a time. But if the pathway and the runway is still there in a person's life, then it's still open game for the enemy to come back another time. And so both are needed. What I've actually found to some degree is that when the heart is really made whole and the jurisdictions are removed, that then what happens, it so closes down the access points that it's almost like the power of the enemy is dissolved from your life. Here's what I believe the Lord is saying. He's saying, I want to build with you and I want to redig the wells. Some of you understand and know wells of revival. You've tasted of the revival of God. You've tasted of the great things of God. And then things happen. The enemy comes in. The enemy comes in because he hates the glory of God. He hates it. He hates the power of God. He seeks to infect and find ways to, to move in and break things down. And he breaks things down because... If something can stay together in God, God can do extraordinary things. But oftentimes, we live with a state of trauma in our lives. And then, in the state of trauma, we give a jurisdiction for the enemy to occupy a place that was meant for the dominion of the Lord. Does that make sense? Here's what I believe is happening right now. This is... You know, it's very interesting to hear the heart of Pastor Jeff. And I, and I only hear extraordinary accolades of Pastor Wendy as a teacher and her spirit of revelation. I haven't heard her share in the same way. But as I hear Pastor Jeff, I hear the heart of a revivalist and evangelist. I hear the heart of the Father crying out for people, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. I hear what he celebrates. You, you are going to be a people so in love with Jesus and so in love with the outreach of Jesus that of, of touching lives that people are coming in. But I also want to say this. 
you are also going to witness extraordinary transformation in the hearts and the lives of people. Extraordinary transformation that will be accelerated. And so I want to explain a little bit why, and I'm kind of searching here, so let me just finish out this scripture here, and then I'll go into why. Because it says to redig the wells. You know what? You've got some precious wells in your life. You have some precious points of visitation that you've had in the Father. You have some precious points in which they existed and they, fl- and they flowed with living waters. And you know what Philistines are? They're a type of demonic power. The devil came to, to close down and to fill those places that were alive with living water and to shut them down and close out the avenues. But it says that Isaac came. He came with generational anointing. And he came to now redig the wells. Can I tell you one of the things that's going to happen in your life here? One of the things that's going to happen at Haven is you're going to be experiencing the redigging of the wells of God in your life. The Father has wells of living water that are going to be coming forth out of your life. Here's what I believe. It was just um, about a week or two in the past 10 days, I was praying. I was praying. Well, I wasn't. I, I pray In one of my prayer times, <laughs> this is what happened to me. The Father was, was speaking to me about the area of eternal life. And this was different because in John 1, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it, had no power over it, had no ability to prevent the light from happening. In him was life. The word life there is not the word bios, but rather it's the word zoe. And what's extraordinary in this word zoe here is that it speaks to an eternal life of God. Now remember, you're a revivalist church. What are some of the characteristics of a revivalist church? Let me talk about one person who was, who brought an awakening. His name is John Lake. About 100 years ago, John Lake was a successful businessman. But he lived in a terrible time in which so many members of his family were dying, I think, of, of cancer, I believe. I think he had lost six, seven, or eight family members. And he began to seek the Father to understand what this was all about. And it propelled him into awakening of the Lord. In the course of it, a healing anointing came upon his life. John Lake left behind a very successful business career and ended up being directed by the Father to live by faith and to go to South Africa. John Lake, South Africa has, in the past 100 years, had three great awakenings. The first great awakening was with John Lake. It's very interesting, when you look at awakenings, it's not usually the product of a denomination. Awakenings are oftentimes the product of someone and a people who had a heart for God. Now, I shiver as I say this, because could it be possible that we are standing in the midst of a people that are carrying a reviving spirit for spiritual awakening here this morning? I shiver at this thought because I just feel something. And in this great awakening that occurred in South Africa, the bubonic plague occurred. And we've been through what's called a pandemic. Although many of you, well, anyway, I won't say anything about it. I don't want to go there. It's, it's a topic that's too large for the limited time that I have. And so in the midst of this, this was a genuine pandemic. 
the bubonic plague. Within a very short period of time of contracting it, the people died, they were blue. John Lake and one of his people were together and there they were picking up people along the side of the road and putting them in carts because they literally died on the road because it hit so fast and so hard. One of the people from the civic government came up to John Lake and they said to him with concern, legitimate concern, they said to him, Lake, you shouldn't be doing this. And, and Lake then said this. He, he, after conveying to them that it was all fine, he, he, they scraped off some of the saliva from a, a person who had just died, teeming with the organism, and put it under a microscope. And there they looked at the, the, the organism of the plague under a microscope slide, and it was just teeming with life. He held it in his hand. And then he gave it back to me and says, look again. As they looked again, it was all dead, and there was no more life in it. And he said, Lake, what is this? Lake said, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. He knew there was a higher law, a higher law in Jesus. And though there was sickness and infirmity in the world, you see, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the darkness could not comprehend. The darkness had no power over the light of the life of God. And what does that mean to us today? You know what I believe is that somehow in the midst of this, we always parallel good versus evil, you know what I mean? Life versus death, love versus, you know, hate, you know what I mean? Faith versus fear. We always put these things on parallel as if they're opposites and they are. But the one thing we forget is is that Jesus said, all power and authority has been given unto me. So I got news for you that you all know that death is not on equal power terms with life. Death, you know, hate is not on equal power terms with the spirit of love. Amen? Fear is not on the same terms as faith. Suddenly you begin to realize that though they're opposite, one is powerless in the face of the other. The Father's speaking to me that he's calling you to dig the wells of eternal life. He's calling you to move into a higher dimension of the life of God. He's calling you into a day into a day that we really don't know what we're moving into. See, we want to go back to the way life was. It's never going to be like that ever again. It's over. We are in a day of war. We are living in the book of Joel right now. We are living in Isaiah 60 verses 1 and 2 right now. And there's some things people have done under the pretense to say, well, I want to go back to the way I once lived and to do things the way I once did. And that's fine on a temporal little time while we put the bandages on. But I want to tell you something. While we have an interim window of trying to put a bandage on to get us through, making us think that, you know what, we, we're going to have life like the way it was, this is a time of preparation. A year and a half ago, we got caught off guard. There were very little prophetic words out there warning us of what was coming down. But I'll tell you something. The battle isn't over yet. 
And what's coming down is that, you know what, we're going to need to know the powers of heaven itself. We're going to need to know the powers of the glory of God itself. We're going to need to know it. But we're going to need to know it in a way that is different than when you think and I think when I say we need to know it. Because when I say we need to know it, you think that means in our brain we need to know it. But I want to tell you something that's not real knowing. The way you know something in a spiritual sense is from your heart. And the way your heart knows it is because you were transformed. This isn't the Gentile world of sitting in a classroom in school and listening to a teacher talk to you and thinking you know what they're talking about. This is now the day of experience. I'm telling you, this is true. And suddenly we're in this hour of acceleration. Thank God for a reviving spirit. Thank God for leaders that don't want to be institutional and structural and know enough that without the power of the Holy Spirit, we are in trouble. Thank God for that. Because we are in a time of epic power encounters. Here's what Joel 3 says. Joel 3 says that there are multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Like what a thought that is. I'll, and then I'll read on. It says there are multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will go dark and stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord will roar from Zion and and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake, and the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength for the children of Israel. You know what the Lord is saying? He's going to be a strength to you. It says there's going to be a shaking. I don't think that we any of us would doubt that there's been a shaking. You know what many people think? And I know that it's a combination of many things. We have never seen evil personified quite in the way that we are seeing it in the day that we live in. We're astounded by it. We're astounded by the people who can't see it. We are astounded by, 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 by things that make no sense. But in the midst of this, Haggai says this, and Hebrew says this, that there is a shaking going on. There is a shaking going on. And it says that everything that can be shaken is being shaken so that that which cannot be shaken shall remain for there is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. What we are in the midst of in a global sense right now is we are in the midst of a profound shaking. And this shaking is undoing and dismantling powers of darkness and powers of evil that have been in existence and functioning for decades and in some cases for centuries. Most people right now, you know, when you, you saw Pastor Jeff invite Calvin up, Friday night, Calvin was, was up and there was a, a couple of other people with him, uh, Megan and Kat. They were together. It was very interesting to listen to this millennial group who now 
We're coming into the vivid realization of the power of Jesus. And you know what they were wondering about? End times. The days and the times we live in. You know what the Bible says? That the sons of Issachar understood the times and they knew what to do. It's not enough just to listen to all of the, 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 the feeds that come. And the information that comes. And, and to hear and endeavor to get a sense of what's going on. The real question to you is, what are you doing? What is happening? How are you being changed right now? Because I got news for you. You will not be able to move in this next season in the strength of yesterday. You will not be effective to become a force of revival. To be a force to stand in the face of darkness in the faith of yesterday. You won't. Many people are collapsing in this time and giving in and letting go and capitulating because they do not have the strength right now. And they're compromising in many ways because they don't have the strength to stand. We live in a culture that wants our cake and to eat it at the same time. But the day of comfortable Christianity is coming to an end. We in North America and in the Western world, have not understood uncomfortable Christianity. But in the world where there is uncomfortable Christianity, there is great awakening. Now, I'm not prognosticating today, you know, apocalyptic things. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that things are not going to ever look like they once were. And as a result, here's what Joel says, there are multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Multitudes. But you know what? There's lots of places that people are just going around and doing life, doing church, just like they ever did it. I listened to an evangelist. Thank God for your pastors. Thank God that you're called here. Because I listened to an evangelist. This guy's a radical street evangelist. He's amazing. He travels all around North America internationally. He told me a couple of years ago, I, I couldn't even, I didn't even want to believe it. He said, the average American in the U.S., and I don't think Canadians are any different. He said, have not led a person to the Lord in the past five years. And 80% of them have not even witnessed their faith in the past five years. I couldn't believe it. It's the state of American Western Church. I can't speak a Canadian. You can draw your own extrapolation. But now the fruit is going to be hanging from the tree. There are people that are living in terror. There are people who are living in trauma. I'll tell you something. Uh, in the past, last month, I, I, I was with some, I was in um, 
various places in Saskatchewan. I was in Ontario, and I was able to minister, and I was able to minister on a number of occasions, three different occasions, to teenagers. I had teenagers that were driving an hour and a half to the meeting. They just wanted to be prayed for. They wanted prayer like I'd never seen it. And as I began to lay hands on these teenagers, I was like taken back. Because what I suddenly realized is I felt stuff on these teenagers like I'd never felt in adults. They were in despair. They were discouraged. They were depressed. And they were suicidal. You know, you go and you lay hands on the adults and, you, you know, you pick up on things where they're at. But I'll tell you something. Teenagers don't have your infrastructure. They don't have your maturity. They don't have an understanding of, of things. There are so many lies that are being perpetrated into the lives of the teenagers right now that have escalated in such rapid dimension. It's like they're boats on the water with no anchor that have lost their sail. They're trying to find a way. And this generation that is now subsequent to the millennials, I'll tell you something, they live in a world of isolation and are islands unto themselves. They are ripe for awakening. They have, they have been strategically assigned to, to be, to be uh, targeted so that they don't even know who they are. Because identity, true identity, can only come through the heart of our Father. They are ripe for a visitation of the heart of our Father. Because there are multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. And so as I'm praying, the Father is saying to me, Len, I'm calling you into the days of divine life. To begin to move with divine life because the holy spirit is a minister of the divine life of heaven we are going to become conduits of this divine life to move in the divine life of god because i'm going to tell you this and this should be no surprise there are going to be people we've already seen them but i'll tell you something there are going to be life and death situations that we're going to have to know how to pray like we've never prayed to break the spirit of death off of people. We're going to have to know how to pray to deliver people. We're going to have to know how to pray for people to be set free from the chains of the enemy. Because if you don't know how to pray, and if a people don't know how to pray, I'll tell you something, there is no hope for their lives. And if you, not you, then who? This isn't any more Christianity about just you being blessed. This is about a Christianity now with a purpose and a mission and being called in the day that we live in. Because you know what? This is about all hands on deck. This is about a people that are being called to emulate the glory of God. Isaiah 60, arise, shine. Your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Pastor Jeff has already said it this morning. We are in revival. Why? For darkness is upon the earth, and great darkness upon the people. 
You want to know something? There is darkness upon the earth. There is darkness upon the people. The clouds of deception, the clouds of control, the clouds of global things is upon the earth at this time. And deep darkness, my people, but my glory is arising upon you. We know it. There's God and there's the devil. But you want to know something? God in the threefold, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is infinitely more powerful than the devil. Infinitely. You know what I believe? I can't prove it, but I don't think it's a huge stretch. That we are living in the day of the Lord. And as the Lord comes near, as the day of the Lord comes near, what's happening is that, is that as the day of the Lord draws near, that the intensification, you see, it isn't like all of a sudden when that day happens, that all of a sudden the light switch goes on. What I believe we are actually in is a dimmer switch. We're in a dimmer switch. And as the day of the Lord draws near, the voltage begins to dial up. And he begins to dial up and dial up and dial up and dial up. So that in a sense, that when the day of the Lord comes, it will not be a surprise because the glory of God is so strong in those days that it's like awakening of the glory of God is all around us. And that's what's happening. The voltage is being dialed up. It's like your wiring system is being, re, is being retooled. You are going from 120 volt to what we know in our vernacular is 240. In your house, most of your circuitry is 120. For all of your appliances, with the exception of your air conditioners and your stoves and some other things, you got 240 because those appliances, those those you know whatever you want to call them, require greater wattage. They require greater amperage. They require a greater power flow. You want to know something? That's what God's doing in your life. You know how He's doing it. He's transforming how you believe. Because the well in your life, in part, is how you believe. Where do you believe from? You don't believe from your intellect. See, the Bible says, if, let's go real basic, Romans 10 verse 8. If you confess your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Where do you believe from? Your heart. You confess with your mouth, you believe with your heart. What is the confession of mouth is the extension of your heart. You don't believe with your intellect. You know what's happening? You're going through heart transformation. You're going through heart surgery right now. And the great surgeon is coming into your life. You see, the strategy of the enemy is to cause you to live in a divided world. Into a separate world. I'm going to make an audacious statement to you. And on the surface, it probably might seem a little bit shocking, but it'll quickly be, be evident. This world is not your home. 
Now we know that because as Christians, we know that our home is in heaven. But can I say this? It's not at the end of your life that you're going home. You are called to live in a home while you're here on earth. Because some of these realms that people are living in were only temporal places, and we begin to create a very nice prisoner of war camp in separation from our Father. For instance, we all know the scripture, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind, right? We know that. But therefore, and it was about a year and a little bit ago when this whole pandemic thing started to hit, and you started to see that really this was as much of a pandemic of fear as it was of a virus. Why was there so much fear? You understand that the first evidence of fear that we see in the Bible is with Adam and Eve. And what you see is that Adam was hiding from God as a result of what's called the Great Fall, and there... He was hiding in what was the first one of the three symptomatic evidences, fear, guilt, and shame. But the first that we see is God says to him, why are you hiding? And he says, well, I'm afraid. It's interesting that fear became a symptomatic evidence of separation in the Father. A symptomatic evidence of separation from the Father. You know, when your heart and your life is separated from the love of God, it creates anxiety. When your heart is separated from understanding of the way God thinks in a situation, it produces anxiety, which produces fear. So you know what? In a sense, you can look at fear as a good thing. You can begin to say, well, if I'm living in fear, if I've got fear in some area... It means that, therefore, I'm probably separated in some way. I'm separated from the love of God, from my union in the Father, or I'm separated because there is an inflow of information that's coming to me that is disconnecting me from what is the true understanding I'm meant to have. It's really simple. It's really simple. Because the byproduct of all of the separation is fear. And so you begin to realize that much of our battle in life is dealing with the areas of separation. Rejection is the byproduct of separation. Rejection is how you see yourself. Unworthiness is a byproduct of separation. All of a sudden, you begin to realize that many of these conditions that now not only affect our heart, how we relate to each other, but begin to manifest in our bodies, in our own health, become the byproduct of separation. And so in John 17, Jesus prays, Father, make them one even as you and I are one. Because everything Jesus came to do is to unite us to the Father, while the nature of the devil, diablo, is what it's called in the Latin or the Greek, meaning to thought or mind, everything of the devil is to bring us into a state of separation on three levels, with God, with ourselves, and with each other. And when he can move you into that state, that's now when demonic entrance begins to come into your life. 
I've got to migrate. You know, I've got more to say than I have time for, so I'm going to now begin to shift it into these two areas. So in the place of separation and understanding that our God is a God of you, know, I want to talk on believing and I want to talk on trusting and I want to close it down. Jesus said, Father, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we see the realm of heaven and we see the realm of earth. We see a battle of two kingdoms. We see the collision. We see the shaking going on. We see sickness versus health. We see all of these things. And the interface of now what is going to bring about the kingdom of God in our lives, the redemptive work of Jesus, has a lot to do with believing. A lot to do with believing. You know what Paul says? He says, I know whom I've believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to do that which he said unto do in that day. He says, I know whom I've believed. When I was praying and the Father was speaking to me about the area of divine life, you know what he was saying to me? He says, Len, I am mining in you a deeper relationship with me in your life. I'm not satisfied with the relationship that I've had. I'm not satisfied. You know what? It's not enough in the season ahead. I don't know him enough for the season that lies ahead. I don't know him enough. Because you see, how, you're, how you grow is really the product of transformation in your heart. It's how your heart is transformed. And how all of a sudden he transforms you because you, you know what? And you know what? The, one of the simplest ways you get transformed is by saying yes. The question I ask you today is how big is your yes? How, how, how open is your yes? How willing is your yes? You see, I, in the area of hearing the voice of God and hearing God speak to us, which is essential. It's absolutely essential. In that area, sometimes people can ask something of God and then all of a sudden they just say, well, God's not talking to me. Well, that's not true. God is always broadcasting. He's always talking. The problem is not in our Father. The problem is in us. So why is there a problem in us? Because sometimes we're asking the Father a question that we do not have a trust foundation in our life to accept the answer for. And in that place of really a state of unbelief in our heart, though we don't recognize it as that, we close down the open pathway of hearing what the Father wants to say because deep down we don't want to hear it. Or we're afraid to hear it. And as a result of that, we have silence. But the silence isn't because the Father doesn't want to reveal himself. Because you know what? He lives to reveal himself to you. He lives for this. Because that's how you come into his image. That's how you come into his nature. As is you become the recipient of how he reveals himself. And so in the midst of this, he's saying, I long for a deeper relationship. 
What is it really like to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind? What does that really look like? Because you see, the love to love the Father, and first of all, you can't love him on your own ability. How can you, as a, as a finite human, using that word, now love the infinite God? Really? With human love? No. We love because we've been loved. So the Father comes to love you. He comes to heal you. He comes to comfort you. He comes to restore you. He comes to be with you. Because religion says that God is angry and he's separated and he punishes you and he's got a big stick and he's going to make life difficult for you and you're a bad person and all of those things. To find out that all he does is he loves you. And then out of that love, you begin to love him. And that love leads you into the glory of God. It leads you into the nature of God himself that's glorious. And now in the glory of God, you begin to experience this radical transformation. And all of a sudden, you can then take people to where you've been. Have you ever noticed it? That when somebody got healed of something, they've got faith for the thing they got healed of? That people got delivered of something, and now they've got faith for that deliverance in other people's lives? That's what's happening in this time. You're being called to believe for things that are miraculous. You're being called to believe for miracles. What's going to happen is your relationship with God is being transformed because the well the wells are being redug in your life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. One of the most powerful scriptures in the whole Bible. Can I share this? It's not a it's not a stretch. That if you went around and every one of us in this room today, everyone. 100% every one of us in this room, 100% every person in Medicine Hat would relate to this question, what am I trust? Where is my trust? What am I trusting in? Who am I trusting? It was about a year or so ago that I, the Father began to speak to me and he says, Lynn, I want to be your source for all things. Yes, all things. He said, yes, all things. He wants to be your source for everything in your life. But in the midst of this, he began to speak to me about my trust. You know what he said? He said, Len, it's not, not that you don't have a trusting nature. He says, but sometimes you mistrust, misplaced trust. Sorry, misplaced trust. Your trust is misplaced. Sometimes we can put our trust in people instead of our Father. We can put our trust in any myriad of things, whether it's things in your life or the extensions of your life. Do you know what I'm saying? Some people put their trust in their bank account. Some people put their trust in what they have. They put their trust in their health. They put their trust in 
their, their profession. They put their trust in the people that they know. They put their trust in all kinds of things. And the father was saying, Len, you know what he's saying to you? He's saying to you, all of those things are fine, but the primary source and essence of our trust needs to be in him. He's recalibrating our trust. You know the scripture in Romans 12, it says, uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, Romans 12, 2, by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is the good, the acceptable, the perfect will of God. You know, a lot of people, a lot of Christians, have tasted the good and the acceptable will of God on a regular basis. And you know what? The good will of God is really good, isn't it? We live, we have been a blessed people. We live in homes. We've lived in a, you know, the perception of a free country. We lived in many things and, you know what I mean, and can do many things. Life has been good in many ways. I mean, there's, life is hard. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, have you ever noted that when things are going good, that oftentimes people kind of pull back the pedal on really being hungry? They just, they just kind of back it off into cruise mode. Isn't it unusual that it's crisis that drives many people to seek God? That's an unusual thing. A wilderness drives people to seek God. Persecution drives people to seek God. Why? Because then we need him. But don't we need him all the time? But here's the real issue. The perfect will of God doesn't, isn't just a product of your divine or your human ability. I believe, and I can only say I believe, that the perfect will of God is found as we trust him. The perfect will of God, I'll say again, is found when you trust him. You see, sometimes, you know what, we in life we carry cares, don't we? We carry burdens. I remember when the Father began to talk to me about me carrying cares, carrying burdens. And he said to me, Len, you weren't designed to carry cares. If you carry cares for too long, you become anxious. It takes out your health. It becomes, to, becomes confusion. Next thing you know, you got worry, you got anxious, you got fears. You got these things going on because you're carrying cares. Because I never designed you to carry cares. Because the Bible says, cast your care upon me, for I care for you. And as you do, then the peace of God that passes all understanding guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And all of a sudden, I had to learn in my life that I wasn't designed to carry cares. And I had to roll cares into the heart of my father. But you know what sustained me? And then the father said, Len, and if you'll do this, and if you will trust me, then you will witness my genius going to work in your life. You will witness my divine and supernatural ability. You know why? Because trust will take you into the realms of the Father. Trust will move you out of a temporal realm. Trust will take you out of the prisoner of war camp that we are living in, but we don't know we're living in a prisoner of war camp. But you are actually living in a prisoner of war camp trying to make it very, very comfortable in this temporal life. But the truth is, Trust is the, the avenue that the Father says, I will liberate you from places of bondage in your life, and I will move you into a place in me that is a product of oneness. And I will be the strength of your life because 
you trust in me. You want to know what the illusion of the enemy is? The illusion of the enemy is that if I trust God, I'm on shaky ground. But if I trust in myself, that's my safe place. Come on. We think we're out on a limb when we're in the place of trust. And our world can be coming apart, but you know what we're doing? We're holding on like crazy, aren't we? We're holding on to what we've got. We're holding on because that's all that we know because that's what we've been taught. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, I'm holding on with everything I got. But you know what? We're holding on to the wrong thing. Because sometimes, you understand, I mean, the, the, the psychology studies on just control, controlling behavior, all of this stuff, there's vast studies on it. But fundamentally, one of the reasons why people control is they control out of their fear and their rejection. You remember what I said? Fear and rejection are symptomatic of separation. And there's behavior profiles that begin to stem out of all of that. And all of a sudden, the relational world of people that live in those zones begin to infect and affect themselves and infect the world around them. Out of separation. Because Jesus died that we would be one. I'm going to stretch you in this last thought. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. You know, there's two understandings. There's the understanding that we have and there's the understanding of the Father. This was another area that was kind of illuminating to me. Because you know what? The devil's really smart. He doesn't show up in your life with a pitchfork. Oftentimes he shows up in your life with a question. Question. See, he doesn't always need a trauma or a shock or a wound as the only avenue of access to your life. Sometimes he just comes up with a question. That's what he did with Eve. Uh, Eve, I see you walking around the garden. Uh, <clears throat> what do you think of this tree over there? Oh, uh, no, no, that, that's the tree that God said. He says he can, we can eat everything, but we aren't supposed to eat from that tree. Oh. See how the dialogue opened? Opened with a question. Has God said? You know what? One time, some years ago, I was going through one of the, my typical firstborn responsible rituals of looking back, trying to figure out if I did thing, did life and made the right things and did what I should have done. And I was exploring the question of maybes. Maybe I should have done this. Maybe I should have done that. I am sure, without being facetious about it, every one of us, in, in, at some time in our life, some for us more than others, have been through those ritual exercises of maybes. And I was beating myself and wondering and moving into a greater place of separation and wonderment. And then the Father said to me, Len, I don't talk to you in maybes. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. 
I was in a dialogue with the devil. I didn't know it. The Father doesn't talk to you in what ifs. The Father doesn't talk to you in ways that make you feel bad about yourself. Even when the world has come undone, when you're with him, he'll never make you feel that way. And all of a sudden, I began to realize that here in this place that I was engaged in questions that were noble, but I was dialoguing with the devil. And he had an access point, this time through my brain. And maybe it was my heart. You see, the enemy will come to you with questions. Some of those questions even will come in the form of accusation. And I mean, that's a whole thing itself. Because the first evidence of accusation came from in the garden with the Lucifer talking to Eve and accusing God that he was withholding blessing and goodness from their lives. You want to know something? The devil loves to plant accusational thoughts about our Father into the hearts of people to make them believe the very things that are opposite in the nature of God. So let's make it really simple. Pedestrian. He'll plant accusational thoughts about the Father to say that the Father's love to you is conditional. I don't feel, maybe God doesn't love you. Maybe he's not for you. Maybe he doesn't care about you. Maybe this, maybe that. All of these accusational things. And you know what? We think in good religious sense, because the assignment of religion is separation, that all of a sudden, you know what I mean? That all of a sudden I'm a, you know, based on what I do and all of those things, therefore I'm now being defined by that as to whether or not God loves you. He transforms you in his love. Transforms you in his nature. And so now in the midst of this, you're in full-on battle. You're in full-on war. You don't know it. But you're in full-on war because now you've got a high-voltage question that is being engaged into you, and you suddenly find yourself in this intellectual heart debate going back and forth and thinking about all of these things because there's an energization. And if you are ever around a really super smart person, super smart, you know how they convince you and break you through biases and predisposed opinions and all kinds of pre-existing thoughts. They won't try to try and overpower you and convince you with their thought, saying my thoughts are bigger than your thoughts. Because any thought or idea in opposition to a pre-existing belief system will be rejected. You know what they'll do? They'll ask you questions. They'll ask you questions that cause you to undermine the very essence of what you believe. That's what good lawyers do in court. Lawyers already know the answers to the questions they're asking. They want to expose your heart. The devil knows. So he's asking high-voltage questions because his intent is to move you into a pathway and into a conclusion that is contrary to the knowledge of God. If you stay on that journey. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. You know what I started to learn? This, this defines my intake 
of information right now. Because I started to realize that, that we think we live in a culture where it's perfectly fine to intellectually explore whatever you want. To listen to as much news of every form as there is out there. Whether it's mainstream or whether it's other sources or other forms or whether it's your own sites or whatever, thing, whatever it might be, that it's okay to explore it because we all got our little areas that we feel comfortable in. And so we're going to get our information from all of these sources and whatever it is. But it says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not into your own understanding. Because somewhere in this, you're being shaped, you're being programmed, you're being defined by the information that's coming to you. And now the understanding that begins to flow in your heart. And now all of a sudden, here's what begins to happen. And without knowing it, you're being programmed by it. Now some of us want our program to be reinforced. That's why people go back to certain news networks. Because it's all about reinforcement. But the reality is this. The Bible talks about walking in the light of the understanding that you have. The word of the Lord is a light unto our path. The voice of God is a breath that opens understanding to you. Here's what happens. If you start to overload yourself with information that exceeds the capacity of your understanding, you know what it does? It moves you into separation. And what do you start feeling? I feel anxious. I feel worried. I feel troubled. I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder if we're going to be okay. I wonder, you know what I mean, like what's going on? And some people now, they can't sleep at night. They wonder. They, they, you know what? Listen, I'll tell you something. Even in terms of feeding on end times, it's good to know, but I'll tell you something. If, you, if your intake of end times exceeds your capacity of understanding from the Father and what he's saying to you, you'll move yourself into a place of, of separation and you'll start living in anxiety. Why? Because all of a sudden you've got to know the fundamentals in your life of what the plumb line is of being one. It's the knowing that, you know what, that you have peace knowing that you have joy, knowing that you have security and the love of the Father. If you get outside of those places and you move into these other territories, whether by your own search or whether by engagement of discussions with questions that are inspired by the enemy and the times that we are living, because there are demonic powers that are fueling the information systems coming into the world and into the hearts of people to manipulate the souls of people and to create mass manipulation. And the question is, are you going to be a product of mass mind control? Or are you going to be one that says, okay, every once in a while i got to tap in there to understand what the devil is saying, but the rooting of my understanding is going to be in the understanding of the heart of the Father because he's transforming your belief system. He's redigging the well. And you know what he's doing? He's saying, I want you to trust me. And this is my closing thought. You may think, you may think, that when you're out on a limb, you're on shaky ground. But here's what you really are. When you're trusting in the Lord with all of your heart, you're in the place of greatest oneness that you ever could hope to be. And you know what? It says that when you trust, he will make his people strong. 
I want to tell you something. In these days, in these days, every one of us, not this is everyone, 100%. That includes me, and I tell you, I'm, it's, it's, it's like I am I, just as much as everyone. We are in the time in which the Father's saying, Lynn, you don't know everything about the future. You don't know what's around the corner, but the Father does. And he's saying, now is the time for you to trust me. Put your life into my hand. Let me guide you, my daughter. Let me guide you, my son. Begin to know that I am good and begin to walk close to me and begin to allow me to transform how you believe because days of revival are at hand and I'm coming upon you in this season. And as you trust me, you will move into a union with me and you will see my glory and my power. And I will be a strength to my people in that time. Is this making sense? Now listen, this is not a kind of message for someone who is, you know, brand new in the faith. Maybe it is. I pray that for Calvin, this word would speak life to you today, Calvin. I pray that if Cat or Megan are here today, who, you know, on Friday night just ignited where there was an ignition of God in their hearts. I pray tonight that the cats and the Megans and everyone else that is fresh in Jesus, and it may just be to our shock and surprise that the Calvins and the cats and the Megans and everyone else that are coming in in a, in a wave of God are going to be so ignited and so on fire and so hungry that they will kindle the fires of revival in their hunger and thirst for God. Amen? Be quite amazing. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus that now, Father, you are doing something really powerful in our midst. You're doing something really powerful to change our lives. You're doing something really powerful. And I just believe that in this time, the Father is saying, I'm anointing your yes. I'm anointing your yes. Your yes is going to become so large. You're not going to live with a 30%, you know, uh, uh, governor on your yes. The governor is coming off. The governor is coming off of your heart. As the church becomes a church with no walls, it'll become a church with no walls because the governors are coming off of our hearts. Thank you for days of revival. Thank you for days of revival. We're arising and we're shining. In the name of Jesus. Amen.